G'day folks, welcome back for another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast, episode 103. I'm Alex Murray, and as usual, we will be doing our roundup of uh, vulnerability fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases this week. In particular this week, there has been uh, a couple of different uh, vulnerabilities that were sort of similar. They're both in uh, containerization, uh, application containerization technologies, uh, one in Flatpak and one in SnapD. So I thought they would be quite interesting to dive into and kind of compare and contrast. So we will get to that. Uh, But first, yeah, we'll uh, start off with our usual roundup. So there were 26 CVEs that were addressed across the supported Ubuntu releases this past week. Uh, First up was an update for AppPort in uh, 14.04 Extended Security Maintenance. I talked about this one back in last week's episode. Uh, So that one is now available uh, for that uh, Extended Security Maintenance release. Uh, Then we had the update for Flatpak that I will go into in a bit more detail uh, a bit later. There was an update as well for the Ready Media Mini DLNA uh, server. So two different CVEs that were rolled into this for uh, 16.04 long-term support, 18.04 long-term support, 20.04 long-term support, and 20.10, the Groovy Gorilla. Uh, So in this case, uh, there were two different CVEs. One of them was a possible uh, remote code execution that could be triggered via uh, malicious UPnP requests. Uh, in this case, uh, if you could send chunked encoding requests that had uh, like a negative size in them, uh, it would just go and use that. Then when it went to do its mem copy, and obviously, you know, you would say get an integer underflow or something like that, uh, you'd then get a heap buffer overflow as a result when it did the mem copy and fun and choose after that. Uh, so that one was fixed, as well as uh, a vulnerability that I've actually talked about back in episode 91, back in uh, last year, which was a vulnerability in the UPnP spec itself. This was dubbed Call Stranger uh, then, and basically the specification didn't forbid uh, the idea that you could request subscription uh, with a kind of callback URL that was on a different network segment. So the idea is that from one client, you could send a subscription, but point the uh, the callback request back to someone else. And so then you could essentially get your mini DLNA server to go and denial of service someone else for you on your behalf. So yeah, that was fixed as well. There was an update for PHP Pair uh, for 16.04, 18.04, 20.04 long-term support releases and 2010. One CVE here that uh, was around uh, improper handling of symlinks in archives. So this could be used then uh, to as a directory traversal vulnerability to overwrite arbitrary files. And since uh, PHP Pair runs as root, you could then get arbitrary files overwritten as root on the host. Uh, So you could then use that obviously for privilege escalation or root code execution or whatever you like, really. Uh, So yeah, that one was fixed. Uh, So yeah, that is another, um, I think with the last few weeks, we've had vulnerabilities in uh, like kind of a symlink or other um, archive handling problems. So yeah, one more there. We had an update as well for Open LDAP. Uh, 10 different CVEs were rolled into that across the supported releases. An update as well for QMU, uh, again, uh, all the way back to 604 long-term support. So all those releases as well. Uh, this had the usual mix of issues that we do see in QMU updates, in particular, uh, a bunch of issues in various uh, device emulation handling where it tries to emulate various devices you know for the guest and various uh, kind of c based uh, coding issues would get memory corruption so you could then possibly get information leak uh, from the host to the guest or you could potentially crash the qmu host process and denial of service uh, the whole virtual machine as well uh, there was an update as well for firefox which was to the latest upstream release 85.0.1 to fix a regression that was in the 85.0 release 
There's also an update for OpenJDK. Uh, Upstream hasn't really released any details on this. All we have is that it was incorrectly uh, handling of direct buffered characters. So it doesn't really say much, but um, likely memory corruption, uh, denial of service or other unspecified impact resulting from that one. Then we also had a couple kernel updates, uh, one for uh, the 18.04 long-term support kernel, uh, 14.04 extended security maintenance. This was for uh, the LIO SCSI uh, X-copy issue that I talked about back in last week's episode. There was an update as well for the 5.8 kernel that's used in the uh, Groovy Gorilla 20.10 released, and it's also available as a hardware enablement uh, kernel in the 20.04 long-term support release. Uh, this was a recently reported uh, race condition in the... Uh, address family virtual socket implementation so the idea is as a local user you can get that module loaded you can use this socket type cause a bunch of race conditions in the kernel that then result in memory corruption and you can possibly get code execution in the kernel as a result of that so you could use that for privilege escalation or yeah, root code execution whatever you like and finally we had an update as well for snapd Okay, so this is where I guess I wanted to go into a bit more detail on, in particular, the Flatpak vulnerability that I mentioned briefly earlier and this SnapD vulnerability. So uh, as you're probably aware, uh, Flatpak and SnapD are both similar technologies for delivering uh, kind of containerized applications. In the case of Flatpak, it makes heavy use of uh, well, the original bubble wrap um, stuff that was developed by the GNOME developers that makes use of essentially a bunch of different sort of user namespaces and um, file system namespaces and the like to uh, put the application that it executes in its own uh, separate uh, container from the rest of the host and therefore limit what it can access. Uh, SnapD is kind of similar, but we also make use not only of uh, namespaces, but as well as an AppArmor profile and uh, seccomp filters as well. And so in the case of Flatpak, uh, what it then does is to be able to provide your application the ability to kind of act, essentially act normally, where previously it thought it could access any file on the on the host system or something like that, or you know maybe you're using an, a code editor or something like that and you want to access some random file in uh, Slush, etc. or wherever. And so it provides technologies called, or what they call portals, or what I guess more traditionally were called power boxes back in the day, uh, that allow the application to kind of elevate its privileges temporarily by communicating with a privileged helper. So in the case of uh, the Flatpak, it provides this um, files portal, say, which can be, it pops up this trusted file chooser dialogue that is actually not running inside the application uh, that is containerized, but it's actually running outside of that on the host. Uh, and then usually something like the file descriptor for that file that got opened gets passed then through into the container. So it kind of looks like that application in the container directly opened the file, but it didn't. It got mediated by this kind of trusted helper. Um, so not only do they provide the ability to access uh, files like this with user input, they provide the ability for um, containerized applications to launch subprocessors. Now you can imagine that um, if they allowed arbitrary things to be executed, they could easily then escape confinement. So again, what it does is provide the debus service uh, that allows the uh, containerized application to say, hey, can you spawn this subprocess for me? And that then gets spawned by the flatpak run um, subcommand that sets up confinement again for that subprocess. Uh, this is using like a no new privileges model where the subprocess is not allowed any further access than whatever the parent that was requesting it um, could have. Uh, and so the idea of flatpak run is then meant to set up that confinement to be kind of less than what or the same as what uh, what the requester specified. 
there was a problem here though that uh, the uh, sandboxed process that was requesting uh, this application to be run could set up various environment variables that would then be interpreted by Flatpak run when it went to set up the confinement and it would then allow you to run that subprocess without any confinement at all. So you could essentially get um, you know, unconfined code execution on the host. So obviously the fix for that was to just sanitize those environment variables more correctly. So yeah, that was fixed for Flatpak. And uh, kind of similarly for SnapD, this was one that was directly reported uh, to, to us, the security team at Ubuntu, uh, by a couple of researchers from CyberArk, uh, Gilard Retty and Nimrod Stoller. Uh, they were quite helpful in um, tracking down this one. Essentially what they reported was that containers that were run inside the Docker Snap would end up with the Dockerty Daemons device control group. Now, control groups are used uh, in Linux to kind of limit um, potentially access to various things. You can use them to say limit CPU time and things like that. And the device control group kind of allows you to limit access to various devices. So you can uh, essentially, it's, it's a little bit like uh, if you were kind of to bind mount device files into um, you know, a, a file system namespace or something like that, but allows you to more, uh, instead of having to do the device files, you can kind of do it on the device properties uh, where you specify you know, what kind of access or you can specify say, read-only access rather than read-write or that kind of thing. It's very flexible. And actually we use that in SnapD itself for limiting access to various devices as well. Uh, but in this case, so what happens is that when Docker spawns a container, it sets up a device control group for the container so that it can only access a very limited number of devices. The problem would happen is that we use systemd in snapd to manage the various snap daemons. So uh, when, we, when you install something like a daemon like Docker via snapd, we actually then generate a systemd unit file for that. So that systemd will be the one that's actually managing the Docker, the Docker daemon. And so then when Docker goes to run its containers, its containers are then kind of a sub, um, a sub control group of the Docker D daemon ones. Unfortunately, there was an issue where um, systemd, uh, unless you tell it not to, it would then like to go and manage the control groups for the various processes that it, that it has set up. So it would like to go and manage uh, the control groups for, say, the child containers that are being run by Docker D. And if you were to essentially to restart Docker D uh, via systemd, then it would go and reparent all of those device control groups back into the Docker D daemons device control group. And then they would have access to all the different devices on the host uh, that they shouldn't have had. And you can imagine then, you know, if you've got a uh, sandboxed, um, you know, container running, it then suddenly has access to all these devices. It can then go and, you know, access, say, the root file system directly inside there. So um, certainly not a, a good a good vulnerability to have. This was one that we actually rated as uh, high severity and uh, pushed out the fix um, quite quickly for this. So I want to say thanks in particular to Ian Johnson from the SnapD team for developing the fix. And again, to the researchers from CyberArk to reporting this in the first place. Um, and so then the fix for this really was quite simple. It was to make sure that when we generate the systemd unit files um, from SnapD, that we include uh, this directive, uh, the delegate true, that tells uh, systemd to delegate control of uh, the control groups to the actual Docker daemon itself, not to try and go and control them itself. So yeah, what turned out to be a relatively uh, kind of simple end fix in that you just have to have this uh, one line added to each of these systemd units, uh, yeah, it took a bit of time tracking down and you know, kind of shoehorning this back into uh, SnapD in a way that was manageable. 
So I guess yeah, the reason I wanted to highlight those is that uh, you know there's been a lot of obviously development in the last few years in containerized application delivery formats, and you know these are all great for obviously sandboxing things and trying to limit their access. But um, clearly, when uh, there are vulnerabilities in these sandboxing technologies, you can still get um, still get issues as a result. But it does uh, still make it harder. Obviously, there are a lot of different uh, attack surfaces that these um, technologies do limit. And so you know, my recommendation clearly would be that you still keep using them. Uh, you know, things like the Docker the Docker Snap is uh, more, say, sandboxed than just, say, a Docker Deb that you install. Uh, it has more confinement uh, out of the box, and so it's probably a bit safer to be running anyway. Um, but yeah, so I guess it's just interesting to compare and contrast those ones this week. All right. So that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with us, you can reach the team at securityubuntu.com. We're in the Ubuntu hardened IRC channel on the Freenode network. Uh, we also have a security section on discourse.ubuntu.com if you want to come and raise any security topics there in that community too. And finally, we are on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec as well. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. Uh, it's been a bit of a shorter episode this week, but we will be back again with you next week. Until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.